everyone. Thanks again for joining me on Hollywood Sports Mom. As you know, we're going to talk everything. We're going to talk Hollywood athletes, fun, life, marriage, kids, a little bit of everything that hopefully isn't politics related. But right now, we're at part two um, of my fertility and my infertility journey. And this episode is, is near and dear to my heart, just as the first one was, if you hadn't heard it. Um, it's, this is part two of three shows that I'll do explaining our journey that ultimately ended in success. And if you listen to part one, you know that we had gone through numerous IUIs, numerous IVFs, and unfortunately, two really difficult miscarriages. And we also dealt with a really terrible doctor. And then we met some incredibly smart, trustworthy fertility doctors and a wonderful new OBGYN and a fertility therapist whose words changed my life. So after two pregnancy losses, we were not giving up on our dream of parenthood. And we knew we had embryos in storage. And just looking at it from a percentage perspective, we knew one would be bound to stack. The odds were in our favor. So we transferred an embryo into me in, in, in mid-August. And eight days later, I started my crazy bit of taking a bunch of pregnancy tests. And again, the doctors advised not to do that. They say, wait for the blood test. But most women do it. We just can't wait. We need to know. And we need to know because every ounce of hope is on the line. It's not just your dream. It's your feelings and your future. It's your partner's feelings on the line, too. And I'm not saying this to sound crass, but it's big money. There's big money on the line. I mean, most insurance companies don't cover um, any of this. So if a letdown occurs, the grieving of a, your baby starts, followed by this underlying heavy feeling that not a lot of people talk about. And it's of, holy crap, we just, we just lost another $20,000 and we got, we got nowhere. It's terrible. So after blowing a couple hundred dollars, again, uh, on boxes of first response pregnancy tests, because they are the best, by the way, um, I dashed home. But day after day, after I had this embryo transfer, there was no blue line popping up. And yes, I was that psycho chick, and others will admit to it too, who would actually open up the test and be like, wait, maybe there's an inkling of a blue line about to show up, but it just hasn't shown up yet. So yeah, I've had my days of taking apart pregnancy tests too. Um, and I know others have. I'm not alone. Um, but even the electronic versions kept popping up saying not pregnant. So spent a couple more nights, super, super upset. Kept thinking of time. Like time was the thing that really got to me and my husband. You know, year after year would pass. And when we went into this, we thought all of our problems would be solved with IVF. And time. Time just kept marching on. Um, so after getting all these tests back, seeing that they're negative, my boss, Mike, called. And he said, listen, this show idea just came across my desk. And they need someone to produce and manage a really big live TV event. And I, I think it's perfect for you. And I was like, Mike, I appreciate it. He didn't really know what I was going through day to day. He knew from a bigger scope. But I said... I'm going through this fertility stuff. and I just don't think the timing's right. He's like, okay. He's like, I totally get it. And he's like, you're just the first one I thought of. Um, you know, it's a project for the CEO and creator of Bass Pro Shops in Springfield, Missouri. And, 
know, he's a really big guy and, and it's kind of a rush job. So, you know, whoever does it has to go live in Missouri for a month to get it done. And I'm like laughing out loud. I'm like, Mike, I'm not going to live in Springfield, Missouri. I'm, I'm not going to do that. And Mike's like, I know, but it's really interesting. This guy is a genius and he curated this wildlife conservation museum for over a decade. Like this is this, you know, man's labor of love. Um, this is his baby and he's doing this big museum grand opening and it dawned on him that he's inviting a lot of his friends and this could really be a great TV show. So that's how it came to my desk. And, you know, I was about to kind of laugh and say no. And then, and then Mike was like, yeah, and his friends, I mean, you should see his friends. His friends are both President Bush's, President Carter, maybe President Clinton, uh, all of NASCAR, Luke Bryan, Kevin Costner, military veterans. <laughs> he's going on and on. So lo and behold, my trip to Missouri was planned two days later. Um, and my husband, George, had convinced me, listen, you know, if we have another loss, there's, there's no better way to get over it than to immerse yourself in a project with some of the world's, by the way, most legendary figures. So before I left LA, my fertility doctor's office called and they said, Carol, you know, you need to come in and have your blood test. And I told the nurse, Martha, who was just a gem, I said, Martha, it's negative. I've taken 25 tests. Like it's still negative. And she was like, I understand. And she expressed her sorrow. She said, but you still need to come in for the blood test just to make sure. Like the blood test is the final result. I was like, okay. She's like, why don't you come over today? So I walked in, Martha hugged me. You know, we kind of were emotional together and I told her, well, listen, I just got this big gig in Missouri and it's, it's probably the biggest producing job I've ever had with the biggest names. And she said, I'm so proud of your resilience, you know, keep moving forward. So I had the blood test drawn. She said she'd call me and I went over to Fuddruckers because I'm like, you want to know something? I am treating myself again. I am getting a cheeseburger. I'm getting a large Diet Coke french fries with ranch dressing and then i'm getting like pico de gallo which i love because they always have that there and then they have this artificial cheese that comes in a pump it's so bad for you but i'm like screw it i'm getting the cheese and i'm mixing it with the pico de gallo and the ranch it's gonna be the, the most insane meal ever so i'm sitting there um you know eating my gluttonous meal and <clears throat> And I see Martha's office calling me, like the fertility doctor's office. And I'm like, Ugh, I dread this phone call because I've been through it numerous times. So I pick up, I'm like, hi, Martha. And Martha shouts, you're pregnant, Carol, you're pregnant. And I'm like, what? And she's like, you're pregnant. Um, she goes, I guess the embryo implanted late, but it's here, it's in your blood. And you know, it's a good number. And so I just like dropped my spoonful of gooey, disgusting cheese and I am sobbing tears of joy in the middle of Fuddruckers in Santa Monica. <laughs> and then I panicked and I'm like, Martha, I just agreed to do this show in Missouri. Like I'm leaving and it's, it's for U.S. presidents and this, you know, very famous Bass Pro creator. And, and what do I do, you know? And, and Martha said, Carol, you go and you do that show. You know, pregnant women prosecute cases every day. Pregnant women work out in the fields. Pregnant women chase five other children around the house while they're pregnant. And she said, the fact that it's showing up in your blood means this baby has already implanted, okay? So it's implanted and it's growing. And she said, listen, we will set you up with a hospital in Springfield, Missouri, and you will, you know, go there every other day, um, have some ultrasounds, and they'll know to send the results back to us here in LA. And she said, Carol, just go do you. And I'm like, okay. 
And then I sobbed and I'm like, wait, Martha, I just downed a Diet Coke, fries and artificial cheese. And she's like, Carol, it's okay. You're going to be okay. I'm glad you did. So I arrived in Missouri and I met Johnny Morris, who's the CEO of Bass Pro and the creator of every Bass Pro shop you see. Um, he came up in his jeans and a button-down shirt and welcomed me. And I'll never forget it. He said, Carol, I'm just a redneck who made it big doing the things I love, hunting and fishing. <laughs> I just don't know how to do a TV show, so that's why I have you here. So I'm hoping you can help me. And his down-to-earth sweet words kind of helped give me the confidence to power through. I was like, listen, karma's good all around right now. So every three days while I was in Springfield, first thing in the morning, I'd go over to Springfield Memorial Hospital <clears throat> for monitoring. All the while, I would then leave after getting ultrasounds and be on the phone with the assistant to President Bush and the assistant to, um, you know, President Carter <laughs> um, and talking to the Secret Service and Hollywood managers. We even had the FAA was all over me because Springfield, Missouri had never had so many private jets that were about to land in one day in Springfield, Missouri at their airport. So. It was kind of crazy in a wild time. I even had an ultrasound one day at that Springfield hospital and I was leaving, it was done, but I was still in my gown. You know how you have to hold it closed or else your butt's gonna show because you're naked. And I see Kevin Costner calling. So I'm like, crap, I gotta take this call. So I go out into the parking lot with my gown on, holding it shut, talking to Kevin Costner about how he's gonna open the show and here's what he has to talk about. And I'm like, every person looking thinks I'm a total, like, crazy hospital escapee. But funny visuals aside, um, the news that was being sent back to my doctors in Los Angeles, it started to become concerning. And the ultrasound tech in Springfield kept saying, I can't find your embryo, but I know you're pregnant because your HCG numbers, your pregnancy numbers in your blood keep going up. And she said, so a pregnancy is growing and you only have one fallopian tube left. I've checked that. It's not in there. So it's not ectopic. And she's like, I still remember. She said, sometimes these little buggers play hide and seek in your uterus. So we're just going to keep checking every day. About a week later, uh, Martha, my nurse, called me from L.A. to tell me that my pregnancy numbers were still increasing, but they weren't doubling. You know, they weren't increasing enough for it to be a viable pregnancy. And so I was there in Springfield and she told me they still wanted that hospital to search for the embryo, but I should prepare for a miscarriage again. So the big, char the big show I was in charge of was only five days away. And I found myself in this faraway town managing a production team of like 50 to 60 people. And each day waking up knowing I was miscarrying again and then going and standing in front of a room presenting cheery updates to this billionaire CEO and his senior executive team every other day. And then I go back to my hotel room at night and I collapse and just cry. And on show day, I sped over earliest appointment in the morning to Springfield Memorial Hospital for that last blood draw and ultrasound. And then I dashed back to the show venue because it was my show day and I was running the whole thing. So... By 4 p.m., our celebs started to arrive. You know, I greeted Luke Bryan and showed him to his dressing room. I greeted the U.S. Secretary of Interior, Ryan Zinke, at the time. We talked about how great Montana is. And I even had to check on a bird because <laughs> if you know who Challenger is, Challenger is that famous bald eagle 
who does a flyover at the Super Bowl and other big events. Well, we had Challenger opening our show with this big patriotic flyover. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm directing a bird too. So I went to check Challenger and his handler in their dressing room and they were fine. <laughs> um, and as I walked out of the room of the first bird I'd ever be directing, I noticed my fertility doctor office calling from LA. So I picked up and it was my doctor, it wasn't Martha. And Martha was the nurse. Um, and my doctor said, Carol, I know this is your show day, but I need you to find a private place to speak to me for 10 minutes. So in the midst of all this chaos, I found a quiet corner. She said, okay, listen to me. Get through your show tonight. If you feel any pain whatsoever, you need to leave the show and go straight to an ER. But I need to tell you what's happening. And she said, your embryo left your uterus, traveled through your last existing fallopian tube, and it's implanted somewhere in your body. It's likely implanted onto an organ and it's growing. So tomorrow you're gonna wake up and you're gonna drive to St. Louis a couple hours away. And I have a team of doctors there waiting for you. And I need to let you know, you're not gonna be coming home for a while. And I said, well, what's a while? She said, a month, maybe two months. And I said, what? I said, what are you talking about? I said, okay, I have to come home. Why can't I just fly home to LA and have you treat me? And she said, Carol, because if this embryo twists and bursts, you will start to bleed internally immediately. You will need to be within 30 minutes of a high level ER or else you're gonna continue bleeding. And if that bleeding can't be stopped in time, death can and will likely occur. So I slumped back on the wall, speechless and stunned. And she continued and said, you can't be on an airplane anytime soon. You're gonna be staying in St. Louis for a while. And when you get there, they're gonna treat you with that low dose of chemo for days because we need to eradicate this pregnancy. So, and I just finished her words and I said, so it doesn't eradicate me? And she said, yes. And she said, promise me you'll, uh, any, any sign of pain tonight during your show, you're just stopping everything and you're heading straight to an ER. And I promised her and I hung up. And I spent a few minutes against that wall just trying to digest everything I'd been told because when someone tells you the words, you could die, meaning, you know, you could die one of these coming days. Your world, it's never the same. And just at that moment, my co-producer, Tim, found me. He said, Carol, President Bush and President Carter just showed up with the Secret Service. They're ready for their show briefing because you can't make it up. And somehow I stood up and I said, okay, let's go do a kick-ass show. It's probably my biggest I am woman, hear me roar moment I'll ever have in my life. And I don't know how I got through it. But our show was a huge success. Bass Pro CEO Johnny Morris was thrilled. Challenger, that eagle, he nailed his flyover. Luke Bryan was rowdy and he just electrified the party and the crowd. President Carter was a kind, kind, delightful man. And as a New Yorker, I, I, I had a chance to personally thank President Bush for guiding us through those dark days 
post 9-11. I told him, you know, I was an Upper West Sider and I refused to leave that city. And I would lie in my bed on the Upper West Side waiting for the next terror hit to come because I was going down with that city. And, and that his words, even while under his own duress, um, gave me the strength to fight and stay in Manhattan. And President Bush hugged me and he kissed the top of my head. And it was this New Yorker moment of strength that I needed more than he would ever clearly know. So the day after the show, I began the three-hour drive to St. Louis. I drove through farmlands along I-44 and George called. And now George had come out for my show. And so he mourned with me that night. Um, but he and my mom had decided they would take turns joining me in St. Louis, that I was never alone. And so George was heading back for important meetings and my mom was meeting me in St. Louis. So when George called when I was driving, he said, I just need to say this. And I, I could tell the emotions were pretty clear in his shaky voice. And he said, I keep having these visions, these terrible visions. And they're of me in a delivery room, holding a baby and standing there alone without you. Carol, you're not meant to birth a baby. You're not meant to carry a baby. We keep losing babies in the oddest of ways. And we need to finally accept that God is sending us these harsh messages only to save us from something more awful we don't even know down the road. And he said, I'm so sorry to say this to you, Carol. I know this wasn't your vision for the future, and I've survived losing our three babies, but I'm not going to survive losing you too. So I agreed, and I assured him that, listen, I knew nothing about surrogacy. It was nothing I ever even thought of in my life up to this point. But considering I'd be spending the next two lonely months in St. Louis, I would, I would start researching the process. And in that time in St. Louis, I had no idea that I was on my way to the most beautiful, mind-boggling, and life-changing spirit of womanhood journey that I could ever imagine. So we signed with a San Diego-based surrogacy agency that was referred to us by a friend. And matching with a surrogate is kind of like dating. The surrogates post a profile, and if you're interested in potentially working with them, you let the agency know, and then the agency sends them your couple profile, which shows who you are, your backgrounds, what you do, and, and what your journey's been, and so forth. And then if both parties show interest, you meet in person with the agency rep, and you kind of get to know each other. <laughs> so it's very much like dating. Except in that meeting, you have to, together as two couples, you know, answer some really personal jarring questions like, um, what happens if we put in one embryo and it splits and it's twins? Is, is your, the woman who might be your surrogate okay with carrying twins? Are you guys okay with having twins? Or um, what kind of contact, if any, do you want after the baby's birth? You know, that's another sensitive question. It's as if your, your deepest personal beliefs are laid out on the table in front of strangers, and you're just hoping to find that one woman or couple that happens to be in sync with you. So when we thought we were matched, we, we met up at the surrogacy office to meet our potential surrogate and her husband. And lucky for us, we bonded as soon as we got out of our cars. Like we saw it was them, we got out, and <clears throat> Carly and I, both started talking about our Ugg boots as we walked to the door. And then after a firm sh handshake, our husband started talking about the football game the night before. It was like, 
it just was so easy from the second we stepped out of our car. And, and George told me, you know, Carly's husband kind of looks like your brother. And he did. And they were both in the same field of work. And there was just overall some good, really good feeling. Carly and her husband, Jack, it was like they felt like a little piece of home to us already. Our beliefs were all aligned. And it was so cute. Carly said, I knew we'd like you as soon as I read your profile. And I saw that Carol like loves Christmas because I'm obsessed with Christmas. And her husband, Jack said, oh my gosh, Carly's so embarrassing. She puts up the Christmas tree in October. And I was like, what's wrong with that? So right away, the whole meeting turned into me and Carly versus our husbands. So we knew it was meant to be. Um, so soon we were embarking on this life-changing journey with Carly and Jack. So when the time was right, probably a couple of months later, we transferred two embryos into Carly and we were getting down on embryo numbers too. Um, but we had been through enough, um, that we said, let's do two. And just a week later, Carly texted me and she was so excited. She said, Carol, I know I'm supposed to wait for the official blood test, but it's only been days. And I took a, a first response test and it's positive. And she said, it's so early. It's gotta mean that both babies stuck. So I exhaled louder than I had in four years. And I felt this total peace in my heart. I couldn't wait for George to get home and so I could share the news that our babies were finally coming to us. So we went to the fertility doctor with Carly for our follow-up appointment. And the ultrasound, brace yourself, showed three sacs. And our doctor explained one of the embryos split and it's triplets. So we all kind of let out these nervous laughs, but the nervous laughs were also filled with excitement and awe. And the doctor said, but I want to let you know, one of the sacs that split, one of those heartbeats, it's, it's lagging behind the other two a little bit. And she said, I need to let you know that that could be a sign of weakness and that additional embryo could quickly disappear. So normally I'd see you back in two weeks, but I really want to see you next week to see how that third embryo is progressing. And so we left the office totally jubilant, like kind of in shock, like, oh my gosh, there's triplets. And we went to a lunch in, in Brentwood, California, that's just filled with rich people and whatever. We're all in our sweatpants because we were all so nervous for this appointment. And they're all looking at us. They're all these snooty Brentwood people. And we're laughing, thinking if they only knew like who we are, what we're doing, the fact we just found out Carly's carrying triplets, our triplets, like the whole thing was just kind of funny. And Carly assured us that she was up to carrying triplets. And George and I started like half stressing going, oh my gosh, like we don't even have a room that could fit three bassinets. <laughs> like, what are we going to do? But, you know, it was a good problem to have. So um, a week later, we went to our next checkup. And sure enough, that third sack had stopped growing. And we all accepted this pretty easily. Um, we appreciated the doctor's forewarning, and she assured us that those two remaining heartbeats were strong and beautiful. So the next day, I randomly went to visit a friend up in Beverly Hills, which is about 20 miles north of where I live. And I'm driving home in the car down the 405 highway. You know, my hands are on the steering wheel. And I'm like, the sides of my boobs are killing me. And then I'm doing math. I'm like, and I'm not PMSing. And I said, oh, my gosh. Like the only time the sides of my boobs hurt is when I'm pregnant. I'm like, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way I could be pregnant in the midst of all this. <laughs> so I went right to CVS, I bought the first response test and I got home 
And George was zonked out on the couch. It was like a Friday night. He's exhausted from work. So I just ran into the bathroom and I took this test. And again, I collapsed on the floor when it was positive. And I'm like, oh my God. So we were back to having triplets. Um, only this time it was two babies via my surrogate and one baby in me. So I went out into that dark living room and I woke up George and my face must have been pale white because he looked at me and he said, what's wrong? What's wrong? Is Carly okay? Are the babies okay? And I said, Carly's okay. The babies are okay. And I said, but, um, and I held up the test and George went pale with shock too. He kind of let out a half laugh. And he said, well, I guess God really wants us to have triplets or something. So we decided not to tell Carly our news because we didn't want to add stress to her plate. We didn't want to add confusion. We just thought, when I'm in the clear, we'll explain it. But the two of us were in such utter shock. We went to California Pizza Kitchen, and I don't think we even said a word to each other. Like We just devoured pizza and pizza and pizza and watched whatever was on TV because we were the definition of in shock. And, you know, I kept thinking, how are our three kids going to explain to their friends? Like, well, two of us have this birthday, but then this one has a birthday, you know, three months later or something. And yeah, the, the thought was half nerve wracking, but half funny. So the next morning was Saturday morning. And again, the fertility office only opened till noon. But I said to George, I'm zipping right up there to tell them this. So I zip back up there. I walked in and the receptionist is like, oh, hi, I just saw you here the other day with your surrogate who's pregnant with twins. And I was like, yeah, and I'm pregnant. And she was like, and she goes, you know, this happens quite often. And I'm like, okay. So they immediately sent me into the lab for blood work. And the nurse said, if your HCG pregnancy numbers look good, you're going to have to get on fertility medicine stat. And the only pharmacy that does that is right down the road here near Beverly Hills. And it's Saturday. They're closing at noon. They're not open on Sunday. So, like, you need to hang around this area um, and wait for these results to know if you should be going to that pharmacy. So at this point, I'm so exhausted. We hadn't slept all night, just strictly off of adrenaline. So I, I actually went and slept in the back seat of my car for three hours, just <laughs> waiting for this phone call. And I saw, I woke up because I saw the fertility office calling. And the nurse said, Carol, the pregnancy is not showing up in your blood anymore. And she said, but if you had symptoms and you felt a positive test, you were likely pregnant for a short span of time. And that's kind of when you took the test and why it showed up as prominently as it did, because I took more than one test. And she said, but it's gone now. Um, it's not there anymore. So I was half out of it at this point. I wearily drove back down the 20 miles, back to my house. I explained to George what had happened and what I had was called a chemical pregnancy where it just lasts for a very short period of time and it's no longer there. So George is like, okay, so wait, we're back down to two babies. <laughs> and understandably it was hard to keep track at this point. So I said, yes. So a few days later, Carly was going, she, we graduated from the fertility doctor. We were far enough along. So Carly was going to her personal OBGYN for a checkup. And I had to be down in Shreveport, Louisiana, because I was working on the Miss USA show. And I didn't want to miss this doctor's appointment because it's a really important one when you start going to your surrogate's fertility doctor, um, just to get to know them, because this will likely be the person who's delivering your babies. But 
fertility treatments cost a lot, a whole lot of money. And my salary would cover most of those expenses because I felt like this is my body's problems. You know, I'm taking this work. I'm not carrying a baby. And, you know, I'm um, going to pay for this. So when I was in Shreveport working on Miss USA, Carly texted me. She said, listen, my OBGYN noticed a potential heart issue with one of the twins. She thinks it could be something or she thinks it could be totally nothing. But she wants me to get into a high-risk doctor. And so the only appointment they had was for 7 a.m. tomorrow. So I'm sitting here in Shreveport, Louisiana. I said, no problem. I will be there with you. I immediately booked a flight as fast back to L.A. as I could. Landed at 11 p.m., went to bed, woke up at 5 a.m. And George is like, what are you doing? Where are you going? I'm like, oh, I forgot. Carly had an appointment because I didn't want to worry him. And I sped down the highway for two hours down to where Carly lives and to go to this high-risk doctor's appointment with her. When we got there, the high-risk doctor said, I'm sorry to say that one of your twins is gone. Um, and Carly and I were like, but how? It was just there and it was strong and it was beautiful and it was just days ago. And he said, well, it's called a vanishing twin and it's actually pretty common. He said, many women who just get pregnant naturally don't go through fertility treatments. Sometimes they were pregnant with twins those first couple of weeks, but they, they didn't know it and they'll never know it. Um, he also said, you know, you're tracking things earlier because you're going through fertility treatments. That's the only reason we knew there were more than one in there. And he said, generations ago, before ultrasounds existed, um, many women often had vanishing twins and never knew it. So the doctor said, listen, your one baby is beautiful with a healthy heartbeat. And he said, statistically speaking, when there's a vanishing twin, there's about a 95% chance that the remaining baby will be totally fine. He said, you walked in here thinking you were having twins. And I know it's sad news to hear that you're no longer having two babies, but please rejoice in the fact that you will soon have one healthy baby, he said very lovingly. So Carly and I walked to the parking lot to our separate cars and Carly looked defeated and I was filled with mixed feelings and immediately stressed out, wondering how I was going to go back to L.A. and explain to George, we're back, we're, we're now down to one baby. We've, before we got into our cars, I said to Carly, listen, I know we both have mixed feelings. I'm not sure anyone knows how you and I are supposed to feel right now because we just suffered another loss, but we still have a beautiful baby. And I said, Carly, we're having this baby. Just as the doctor said, the stats are on our side. Please stay happy. We're in this together. She promised me she was happy. She goes, I will, Carly, I will. And we hugged. I got into my car. And when Carly had left, I just fell onto my steering wheel in hysteria and tears. And I dreaded that two-hour ride home to L.A. When I got home, I shared the unsettling news with George. And he threw his hands in the air. And he went to the living room just to watch sports, you know. and. I felt like he was clearly looking for a distraction of this, away from this web of despair that I, I dragged him into. Our fertility doctor from L.A. also called, and she said, Carol, I heard the news, and I'm shocked, but listen, she reiterated what the other high-risk doctor said. She goes, 95% of the time that, you know, if there's a vanishing twin, the other twin remains, and it's going to be fine. So, and she said, in fact, it's such a high probability that your baby's going to be fine that if that baby's not fine, I might just quit my job altogether. That's what she said. So 
Now, for the rest of the night, George was pretty silent. And, and the hard part of fertility is that as the intended mother, as I'm called, you're the one who's front and center. You're going to the appointments, you're scheduling stuff, you're keeping all the notes, you know, you're hearing the test results, you're sharing and educating your loved ones and feeling every emotion of your own shattered heart at the same time. Um, but you have to keep the strength too to be a cheerleader to your parents and any close friends you told your your beautiful surrogate who's doing the most selfless act ever and your partner. You know, you've got to be in there, keeping track of everything, suffering heartache, but then being a cheerleader. Um, and then aside from your own heartbreak, I know for me, I was consumed with this guilt thinking I dragged all these innocent, beautiful people through all this and it's my body's complications that's doing it. It's my scenario that's causing heartbreak, whether that's right or wrong. That's, I couldn't help but feel that way. So we were down to one baby and that night I couldn't sleep. I, I left our bedroom, I went to sleep on the couch, and I was sweating all night. I was nervous for my remaining baby, rightfully so, and I, I kept checking my phone. I wanted 8 a.m. to come. I wanted to just innocently text Carly and be like, hey, what's up? Like, how you feeling? You know, just to get a, something to make me feel at ease. And when that hour came, she was like, hey, I'm feeling great. And I'm like, Phew. Um, And she said, but you want to know something? I have a little bit of anxiety over the remaining baby. I want to make sure that baby's fine. And she said, one of my friends does um, ultrasounds. Would you be okay if I just went to her and had her kind of take a sneak peek at the baby? And I said, absolutely, go do it. And I was actually relieved that Carly was clearly feeling the same way I was, but didn't want to so much admit it. So she said, great, my friend could see me at 11 a.m. And I said, okay. I said, I, you know, I'm going to get my hair blown out at dry bar and I'll be there waiting for your text. So I went to get my hair done in Manhattan Beach and I'm looking at my phone and it's 11:40 and my heart sank because Carly was young, she was upbeat, she was sweet, she was always excited and she was a fast texter because she's so young. <laughs> and I knew that if she saw good news that she was going to text me right away. And the fact that it was 40 minutes after 11, to me, was too long. And call it mother's intuition and as to why I was up sweating all night, I don't know. But I left that salon in a daze. I don't even really remember leaving. And I texted her and I said, Carly, I want you to know you can tell me anything. Don't be scared to come to me with anything. You know, we'll always be okay. I'm strong. Don't be, shared to, don't be scared to share anything. We're always in this together. And she texted back and said, I'm so sorry, Carol. I can't call you because I'm too upset. My friend didn't see a heartbeat. And I drove right over to my OBGYN's office. She was going to see me, but she just had to perform an emergency surgery. So now I have to wait for hours. But my friend wants my OBGYN to make the 100% call. So we have to wait now. But Carly said, I've seen enough ultrasounds and, and Carol... I'm so sorry, but I believe against all odds, I believe we've lost this last baby. So I pulled over and I found it within myself to write back encouraging words. I tried to be that cheerleader that this sweet girl, this selfless girl needed. And after I texted her, I just started sobbing uncontrollably on my steering wheel. Because we had lost four babies in three weeks. It seemed impossible but it wasn't. 
because we lost four babies in three weeks. And it was only noon and I, I didn't have the official words. So I didn't want to call George because maybe, just maybe Carly's friend was wrong. I was sobbing so hard. Um, you know, I was kind of heaving and, and I debated on driving right to a hospital and I, I wasn't suicidal. It was, I've never been suicidal. It wasn't anything like that. I just needed help calming down. I needed help because my crying was so uncontrollable and hard. I truly thought I might have a heart attack and I needed to be sedated and I needed help because it was the biggest broken heart I'd ever experienced. I didn't end up at a hospital. Instead, I called my friend Jessica again. And poor Jessica, she picked up her phone to hear wailing from her friends that I hope she will never, ever have to pick up a call and hear again. And when I got home, I found two Valiums that the fertility doctor had given me early on, because when you're waiting for test results, it's very, very stressful. Um, so I took those two Valium, I climbed into bed, and Carly soon texted me with verification that we were childless once again. And she cried and I cried. And Carly was pissed now. And she said, Carol, I am getting you and Georgia, baby, if it's the last thing I ever do. I am not giving up if you won't give up either. I assured her I wouldn't. And I called my sister and I knew she was crying, even though I could tell she was trying to not let me know she was crying. But I heard it and I knew that when we hung up, she'd sob much harder because it just all wasn't fair at this point. And I remained in bed dreading the hardest moment of all. And that was breaking the heart of the man who had stood by me through all these years and breaking the heart of the man that I loved more than anyone in this world. So George and I naturally began our journey through the stages of grief in just three days. Sadness and denial, anger and acceptance. We were sad, we cried, we were angry, and we debated, like, maybe God doesn't even want us to be married. I mean, maybe he's sending us these horrible messages because we're not meant to be. And then somewhere on day three, we found ourselves in between anger and acceptance. And it was coincidentally Greek Easter Sunday. And George said, you know, I want to go up to Pasadena. The Rose Bowl has their annual Greek Easter picnic, which has like a couple thousand people. Um, and it would afford us a chance to be around people, around his cousins, around his friends that he grew up with. Just being around people in the midst of such darkness, when you get yourself up to do it, it's worth it. You know, sometimes it could be therapeutic. So we went to get coffee before we left for Pasadena and we're sitting in our local coffee shop when this jolt of inspiration just hit my body. I don't know where it came from, <laughs> like lightning. And I said, George, I got to tell you something. He's like, okay. And I said, I saw this quote in my daily planner today. It's one of my favorite quotes and I want to read it to you. The quote is, fate whispers to the warrior, you cannot withstand this storm. And the warrior whispers back, I am the storm. And I looked at George straight in the eye with an intensity he'd never seen from me before. And I said, hey, I am the storm. We are having a baby. I'm not a quitter. Fate can punch us six ways to Sunday. And while I feel like a weary, beaten down boxer, I'm getting up again. I'm the boxer that gets up again. I don't care if I have to take on a second TV job and do three more, two or three more shows to pay for this. We'll get two surrogates if we have to. I don't care if it's unheard of. I said, 
the chances will be on our side. And I don't care if we have to go through life explaining to our two children why they're only six months apart. Okay. I want them to know our journey. I, I want them to know their journey and how special they are. So George said, wow, you know, that's beautiful as he's sitting there holding his LA Times. And I couldn't stop. I kept going. I said, you want to know something, George? This pain is freaking unbelievable. It's unbearable and it's awful. But as crazy as this sounds, it's all going to make sense someday because everything always makes sense in the long run. And I said, maybe you and I will be 90 years old, sitting in our retirement home, and our child will be so intrigued by science because of the path they you know, took to get here in their own history that they'll become a scientist and they'll cure some horrible disease someday. And you and I will be 90 years old and we will look at each other and say, all that pain was worth it. This was meant to be. Wow, George said. And then I cut him off again because I was really rampaging. People in the coffee shop were starting to like put down their LA Times and look over at me like, who's the crazy chick losing her mind? And I'm like, you want to know something, George? My friend, Chris Layden, who was our quarterback in high school, when he heard everything I'd been through, he said, holy shit, Carol, you're the Tom Brady of fertility. Well, I said, George, I am the Tom Brady of fertility, okay? Because look at the last Super Bowl. He brought the Patriots back from a 28 to 3 deficit with only minutes left in the third quarter. Every on-air announcer was writing him off saying this has never happened before. No one could ever come back, blah, 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 blah. Well, records are made for breaking. And history can be rewritten. And Tom Brady is proof. And he won that game in overtime and he fell to the ground crying. But Tom Brady wasn't crying because he won the Super Bowl and broke so many records. Tom Brady was crying because his mother was in those stands battling cancer. And she now witnessed her son make the greatest Super Bowl comeback of all time. That was a human moment. It wasn't a sports moment. And miracles do happen. And I am the effing Tom Brady of fertility. So just sit back and watch me. So I collapsed in my chair. and. After shouting my manifesto for everyone to hear, the entire coffee shop's looking at us like this girl's totally out of her mind. And George just looked at me and he said, okay, um, babe, that was awesome. You're freaking me out a little bit, but it was totally awesome. And off we went. So that was part two of our fertility journey. And there's one part left that ends in that success I've been telling you about. But naturally, because it's us, it's not going to get there without a few more twists, turns, and unimaginable moments um, and teaching lessons and lessons we learned from others. But most importantly, this next episode would be our success against all odds. So thank you for joining me, and I'll see you for part three.